Well, perhaps you'll turn with me to uh, John chapter 1, this passage. I'm not going to look at it in great detail. Again, I'm just going to concentrate on one verse as we did uh, this morning when we were looking in Matthew chapter 1. And this time I want to concentrate on verse 14. Again, very much with this Christmas season in mind. John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And what a wonderful message that is for all of us. We were looking this morning at what happened in the Garden of Eden rather briefly and um, what happened after uh, Adam and Eve fell into sin. But, of course, before they fell into sin, uh, the Lord had perfect fellowship. We read that the Lord walked with Adam and Eve, with Adam in the garden, in the cool of the evening, and there was perfect fellowship. There was a, a relationship between God and his people just as easy and natural, if we can say that, as the relationship between any of us here. And, of course, then, of course, sin came in and ruined that relationship and separated us from God, and that lifeline was broken. We were consigned to death. We became dead. If we aren't connected, we have, don't have fellowship with God, we have to be dead because God is the only source of life in the universe. And, of course, that's a natural consequence of sin, but it's also a punishment for sin because we have deliberately rebelled against God. Both of those things are true. And yet God remains a loving God, and he is so loving that even from that very moment, as we saw this morning, the promise came immediately, didn't it? The promise, as we saw, even of the virgin birth, came in Genesis chapter 3, because the Lord wanted, once again, to restore a relationship with his people. We were made in his image, and uh, his intention was always that we should be his people. He wasn't going to ever just discard us and start again. Of course not. God is in the business of remaking, restoring, bringing back to himself. And so, eventually... He speaks with his people, but he doesn't dwell upon the earth. The only way in which he dwells upon the earth, of course, was when he called out his people out of Egypt, and he commanded Moses to construct, as you remember, a, a tabernacle. And uh, this tabernacle, we have that the posh word for it, but it's just the word tent in the original. And there's this tabernacle or tent, and within this tent, the Lord God manifested his presence among his people. He had to be protected, and they had to be protected from him. And he, in his holiness, needed to be protected from them. <clears throat> now, I tend to say during the pandemic, he self-isolates himself, either in heaven or in this tabernacle here. He, he is there, and yet his presence is among his people, and just the high priest could enter, if you remember, once a year, and could see what? He could see the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory which rested upon the ark, a bright glowing cloud that symbolically represented the presence of God with men. And then taking the history on, you remember what happened when Solomon eventually comes along and is commanded by God to build the temple. So in the Holy of Holies in the temple, the same is true. God manifested his glory in the temple of Solomon, in the Holy of of holies. But then another, what was it, three and a half centuries passed, and uh, the people of God were so guilty of sin, and so God was so completely distraught with them, 
uh, that the glory departed. We, we read about that in Ezekiel, don't we? That the glory actually departed. The presence of God departed from his dwelling among men, from the temple. And the Babylonians came in and they destroyed the temple. And eventually they come back from exile. You didn't think you'd get the whole Bible tonight, did you? But then they come back from, and they build a second temple, don't they? Was the Shekinah glory there? <laughs> okay. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't there. The Shekinah glory that had departed from Solomon's temple did not reappear in the second temple that was built by the exiles. And so they had to wait another 600 years, as it were, before there was the Lord among his people again. We, we looked at that this morning. Emmanuel. God with us. Once again. After having departed, God showing his grace and his love to human beings and his obvious desire to want to fellowship with them was evidenced by the fact that Emmanuel came into the world. And we read, of course, in Luke's account of the, um, <clears throat> the incarnation that the glory of the Lord shone around. The glory has returned. The Shekinah glory, in a sense, has returned. Or as John tells us, of course, in our verse, verse 14 of John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John's already told us that Jesus is God. He is the Word. He is God. The Word was God. And now he says, yes, when he comes in flesh, the Word become flesh, and he returns to be amongst his people. The glory is there. And he comes in the Bible, both the Apostle Paul and, um, and the Apostle Peter, um, talk about our bodies being like tents. 2 Corinthians 5, I think, and um, uh, 2 Peter, isn't it? They both speak about the body of human beings being like a tent. And uh, he says, I'm going to be absent from this tent and be with the Lord in glory and things like that. And so it is that the Lord now lives among us. And that's the word that's used here, of course, in chapter 1 and verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us is literally he tabernacled among us. Or to put it even more literally in, in the way that we can understand it, he, he lived in a tent among us. That's what it literally says. So for the Jews who first see this and, and they're realizing what's happening. The, the God who dwelt in the tabernacle in the wilderness is now residing. His glory is in the tent of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, as, uh, as, as Paul tells us in, in Corinthians, in Colossians rather, he says, in him all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And so you can see there's a direct parallel, isn't there? I wish we had time to <clears throat> look at the parallels, the type of the tabernacle, that the tabernacle in the wilderness is a type of Christ incarnate. 
And here we have the realization of the type. We have the fulfillment of the type. We have the fulfillment of the tabernacle. We have the fulfillment of the temple. We have further evidence, the ultimate evidence, that God loves us and that he is not going to abandon his people. Whatever they've done, the whole history of the Old Testament, their continual cycle of rejection and rebellion against God does not put off God. And that ultimately, he sends his son into the world because that is the sort of God he is. And I just want to concentrate, to be honest, on just five words in this verse. I don't want to even look more at this verse except these, these words in the middle of the verse. We have seen his glory. And I think that's, I want to ask a very important question this Christmas time. You know, have, is that true of us? Can, can we say, we have seen his glory? You say, well, look, I, I wasn't there. I wasn't there when Jesus was here on earth. You're going to see that's quite irrelevant to what this means when John says, we have seen his glory. Just three things here, fairly briefly, I'm sure, here this evening. First of all, this talks about a very favored people. We have seen his glory. Who, who's he talking about? Is he talking about everybody who saw Jesus in the flesh? Well, clearly not. He's talking about a favored people. He's talking about a special group of people. He's talking about the people, obviously, who were the true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, who really trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not an editorial we. He's not just saying I have seen. He's saying we. Yes, I and all those who, who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we who are true Christians and would die for him because we have seen his glory. What else could we do? And um, I don't know whether any of you listened to the uh, YouTube of, um, channel of um, Jordan Peterson. Does that name mean anything to you? Some of you are nodding. Um, <clears throat> he's an interesting guy who's um, not a Christian, at least. He, he, he certainly doesn't confess to be a Christian, although he seems to be edging closer all the time. But he, what he does say is this. He said, uh, when people say, do you believe in God to him? He's, he, he, he's terrified to admit that he believes in God. He says, I like to live as though I believe in God. That's the closest he'll get. And the reason why he won't say, I believe in God, he says, if I believed in God, it would fill me with absolute terror. The fact that there was a God and I needed to live to please him. He said, I just couldn't consider such a thing. And in a sense, that's absolutely right. Why in the Old Testament it tells us that you know anybody who sees God, you can't see God and live. He, he, he's right. He's got some understanding of the awesomeness of God. One of the problems that we have as modern-day evangelical Christians is that we, we've lost that. We don't have that sense of the awesomeness of God, who God really is, that there is a God. And we have to answer to him. That's a great start. Somebody has that impression. They're going to go on. If they then hear the gospel, wow, will that not be the best news in their whole life? 
course it will. But uh, we have seen his glory. This favoured people, many people, saw Jesus of Nazareth, the humble son of a carpenter, born in squalid circumstances. There was nothing secret about his life, but the world didn't recognize him. No, of course not. I mean, there it is. Verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The world saw him as a figure, as a human being, but they didn't recognize him. They didn't see his glory. And indeed, neither did most of the Jews. Verse 12, verse 11 rather. This is the contrast. The world didn't recognize him. And now, verse 11, smaller circle, he came to that which was his own. He came to the, the Jewish people, the people who had been longing for him, supposedly, who had been waiting for a Messiah to come for centuries. He came to them, and they did not receive him. They did not receive him. They did not see his glory. But then it narrows again in verse 12, the group. He says, yet to all who did receive him. Now we're talking about true Christians, aren't we? Now we're talking about people who understood. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. To the Christian, yes, he is recognized for who he is. Why? Because they are part of the we who see his glory. What a glorious thing that is. There are few whose eyes were opened. Some see his glory, but many don't. Some see in the manger that we read about at Christmas time, God incarnate, but many only see a human baby. What makes the difference? What's the difference between those who only see a human baby and those who see God incarnate? The very fact that their eyes have been opened by the Holy Spirit. They have received spiritual enlightenment. They have been worked upon by the Holy Spirit. And so they see what others can't see. They see through the fog and the darkness to the truth. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't convince anybody by human argument of who Jesus is. It's impossible. You didn't come to believe in Jesus because somebody persuaded you by apologetics, useful though they may be in certain circumstances. You became a Christian because God the Holy Spirit worked upon your life, upon your eyes, upon your heart, upon your will, and showed you that this is Jesus, the Son of God. There's no logical argument that can cause a person to believe in this radical way. It is the work of God. When Peter, you remember, first declared that Jesus was the Christ, what did Jesus say to him? He said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. See, that's the point, isn't it? How did Jesus, how was Jesus recognized by Peter as the Messiah? Not because he worked it out but because the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, the Father himself, had spoken to him and revealed these things to him. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we amongst that favored people? Have we seen the glory? 
Only the high priest, once a year, could go in and see the picture of the glory in the tabernacle in the wilderness. But all who are Christians see the glory of Christ, and all are invited to see him. The second point in these five little words in the middle of verse 14, first of all, we have a favored people, we, and now we have a remarkable experience. We have seen his glory. What an experience that is. Speaking about experience, if you see something, that's an experience. If I say, have you seen the Niagara Falls? Um, you may say, yes, I've seen them. We went on holiday. But uh, if you've just seen a picture of it, you won't say you've seen Niagara Falls. You'll say you've seen a picture of it, but you haven't seen the Niagara Falls. And when you see them, it's a great experience. But to say I have seen something is to say I have had an experience. And this is truly a remarkable experience. We have seen his glory. Many have heard of Jesus' glory. Many have read of Jesus' glory. But how many have seen Jesus' glory for themselves? That's the question. And this is what separates those who may be nominal Christians, as we might call them, from those who are true Christians, who are truly born again, and who are truly those who belong to God. And... Uh, those first disciples saw Jesus in the flesh. You say, well, of course, I wasn't privileged to do that. Well, of course you weren't, but it doesn't matter because that is not what's being referred to here. That's not what is meant here. Many saw Christ in the flesh when he was here on earth and were none the better for it. That's obvious, isn't it? Countless people saw Jesus in the flesh when he was here on earth, but it didn't benefit them at all. Many saw him and crucified him. It didn't benefit them at all. It wouldn't have benefited you at all. Simply to have been alive when Jesus was there and in the right place at the right time and to have seen him in the flesh. Some people say, oh, I wish I'd been there. It wouldn't have done you any good. You wouldn't have been any better off. Many saw him in the flesh and ultimately, as I say, crucified him. But true disciples then, the true disciples then, saw his glory in the same way as true disciples see his glory today. And you say, how is that? And the answer is, by faith. This is the power of faith. Faith enables us to see spiritually. Faith is the gift of God into our hearts and lives that enables us to see things that cannot be seen with our natural eyes. That's the whole point of faith. Faith is the evidence and substance of things that are not seen with our natural eyes. Faith sees beyond. Faith sees into the spiritual reality. And faith must see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So important that that should be the case for us. We see by faith. The shepherds saw by faith. They went and told everybody about this remarkable thing that they'd seen. Uh, the wise men obviously saw by faith, but they were comparatively few, weren't they, in those days. And um, many people just see this um, uh, physically, or did see this physically unremarkable child and didn't see 
anything else. But when you, the wise men, the shepherds, they saw the glory in the shame, they saw the honor in the disgrace, they saw the riches in the poverty, and, and, and we have to ask ourselves whether we do as well. Because so many people are just going to be going to church um, this Christmas season, maybe not as many as did before the pandemic, but they're going to be going, and they're going to be acknowledging Jesus, and singing the carols, and not thinking about it very much, and saying, well, perhaps it was true, I hope it was true. And yet they won't see anything beyond the Christ child, just the little crib with the little baby in it. That's all they will see. But we need to be able to see more than that. I always remember um, the first sermon I ever preached um, many, many, well, many, many, many decades ago um, was um, from the book of Job, believe it or not. And I preached on the words, um, my, my ears had heard of you, um, but now my eyes see you. And uh, as a result of that, um, I repent in dust and ashes. And that's what Job says. He said, I'd, I'd, in the old AV, the reason why I stumble over it is because I did it in the AV. We all did the AV in those days. Um, I'd heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The glorious truth that, <clears throat> you know, I'd heard a lot about Jesus. You know, I, I went to school when we were taught scripture lessons by a person who didn't believe at all. I knew the contents of the Gospels, which is far more than most children at school would hear today. I had heard of Jesus, but I could truly say, and that's why those words struck me enough to want to preach about them. I'd heard of it by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. What a difference that is. That's why he says, we have seen his glory. A glorious thing indeed. Now that's the third point. <coughs> a favored people, a remarkable experience, and then an amazing sight, focusing on what is being seen here. We have seen his glory. And how much better is the glory of the risen Christ than the glory of the tabernacle as was seen by Moses. Far, far better. The contrast is given to us, of course, in our passage as well in John chapter uh, 1, verse 17, which we read earlier. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The contrast there, isn't there? And um, there's something far better. The law came through Moses. Yes, yes, the law. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And that's what our word is saying. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. It's grace and truth is the difference here. When we see the Lord Jesus Christ, what a glorious thing it is. The glory of Jesus is the glory of the only son of God. And the question is whether we see this in the manger at this Christmas time. Um, and, uh, far, far better than what Moses saw. This is what the Bible tells us we should be seeing. Full of grace and truth, full of grace. Such love to sinners like you and me. Such self-sacrifice. Such amazing grace. 
and uh, the very fact that he was prepared to come out of heaven uh, to, to live as a human being, to take upon himself true human flesh and ultimately to die in our place upon a cross is just uh, staggering grace. Um, full of grace doesn't seem to be an adequate phrase, does it? And full of truth. He is the true Lamb of God. He is the true scapegoat. He is the true fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. He is um, true to his mission, is going to be true to his mission to the very end. He is true to his claims. He is true to his promises. He, he's true to his warnings in Scripture. He's true to all of these things. He is full of truth in every possible way. He's full of truth in the experience of those who trust him. I am the truth, he said, and never truer words were spoken. And uh, the question really is, at the end of this, um, here this evening, do we know the Savior? Are we part of this group of people that John was a member of when he says, we have seen his glory? Ask yourself, am I, am I one of the favored people? Not because I'm anything special, but because God in his grace has chosen me and I have I am one who's seen his glory. I've seen the glory. I've seen beyond the historic character. I know that Jesus lived in history, but I've seen who he was. And I've seen the glory. It's the glory that brings us ultimately to this conviction about who Jesus is and brings us to trust him with all our hearts. This is an experience. And it's an experience that John here clearly wants you to have. He says right at the end, these things are written so that you might believe. And that by believing you may have life in his name. He says, every word that I've been writing is intended to make sure that you truly understand what has happened, this momentous thing, that God has been made flesh, come into the world, lived and died to save you, and risen into glory. Such amazing things. And we need to have them as the closest things to our heart, that we know and love the Lord Jesus Christ at this Christmas time. May this reminder of the fact that Jesus came be a reminder to us as to where we stand and to how we should react and respond to such amazing grace.